It's good to see all of you this morning. Um, if you're new, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, if we haven't met, uh, please introduce yourself to me after, after the service. I'd love to meet you and, and get to know you. Um, you know, we've been in a, uh, a series uh, called uh, Forged by Suffering. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that life is filled with suffering. When you're a little kid, you don't think about it much. You're invincible. You have your whole life ahead of you. But the older you get and the more life you experience, you realize that this world is broken and it will sooner or later affect you. And it can crush you. It can make you despondent or it can make you very bitter and very angry. And what I've noticed is that in a lot of churches, they don't talk about suffering because who wants to have a Debbie Downer Sunday? But we need to talk about suffering because the Bible does. And it's the only thing where we can have a grasp on reality while we go through it. So the theme of 2 Corinthians is strength through weakness, which for me is timely. Some of you know some of the challenges that our family have been through like nonstop for the last three years. Some of you are in the middle of your challenges. And I, 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 my hope is that all of us would be encouraged through Paul's letter here to the church in, in, in Corinth. And I know some of you are still struggling and fighting the good fight, enduring, just praying that you can persevere and you feel like you have no control over anything. So that's why we're going through this. And we're not all better now, are we? We don't have it all figured out now, do we? That's why we need to come, keep coming back to this. Now, the title of my message this morning is How to Be a Weak Fool. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to look at three characteristics of a weak fool. And my purpose, my goal this morning is to convince all of you to be weak fools too. All right? That's what you've all been hoping for, right? That's why you showed up this morning, right? So you can learn how to be a weak fool? If the sermon goes well, I'll go on a conference tour with it. We'll just pack the place out like this right there. Look how awesome I am just preaching to 10,000 people. They all show up to learn how to be weak fools. And we'll do infomercials. Thanks to Pastor Matt's teaching, I became a weak fool, and you can too. You know what? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. That's what he's saying here in this passage. Here's the truth. I don't know if you, you may know this, but you probably don't think about it very often. Pride is powerful. Pride is extremely powerful. It will ruin your life and those around you while making you think that you got it all together. So it's insidious and powerful. You know, I have been thinking a lot lately about, about Islam because Islam has been incredibly effective in drawing in and attracting young men Men who are on mission. It's been amazing. 
and, and, and Islam continues to grow around the world, and these young men are, are leading the charge. And last Tuesday, I was talking uh, with a woman um, who was explaining uh, to me how pride is what draws people into Islam and how pride is what draws people away from Christianity. Islam continues to grow strong with young men who are looking for a, a sense of, of pride. Pride is powerful. I have known and I have observed many pastors and publishers who have noticed how powerful and effective pride is and then leveraged the power of pride to draw men to themselves in the name of Christianity, to create a following and to create a name for themselves in the name of Christianity. And they may give lip service to the gospel. They may even quote the gospel here and there. But functionally speaking, functionally speaking, they exchange the power of the gospel for the power of pride. I personally have had a front row seat to witness the rise and fall of a celebrity pastor who excelled in this. And I'm not above that. I know that that's why I invite you to hold me accountable. If you see me getting prideful, you call me out on it. I could be just as tempted, if not easily more so, than anybody else. Pride is powerful. But I'm telling you, ultimately, it is lame. It's lame. Now, there's a metaphor that comes to my mind when I think about this especially when it comes to, to men uh, and our tendency, our temptation, the way we're wired, the way, the way we work, the brokenness in our lives because of the fall. And the metaphor, I imagine, is a little boy that is insecure who wants to be popular and powerful. And so he glues hair to his chest. And he leaves the top buttons of his shirt unbuttoned. And he beats his chest to show off, you know, how manly he supposedly is. And he scoffs at the other boys who aren't as manly as, as he is. And some of the other kids, they see the charade for what it is and they roll their eyes. But so many of the other little boys are, are shamed by his, his mocking. They don't want to be weak. They don't want to be unmanly. They want to be manly too. And so they glue hair to their chest. And they wear their shirts open, and they beat their chest to show off how manly they are. And then they start mocking the other boys who aren't as manly, and now they are popular and powerful too. But in reality, as old as they may be, they're just little boys with toupees glued to their chest. I'm addressing the guys because I'm a guy and I know guys. And, and what I, my hope is that you don't think that I'm bashing genuine masculinity. Genuine masculinity is a, is a good thing. But what I want you to see is that you will be tempted by ostentation overcompensation to prove you're a man or that you got your stuff together. And others will manipulate you into this and convince you to glue hair on your chest. 
It's evidence of insecurity and a desire. It's evidence for desire to be popular and powerful. But that really is a desire underneath, a desire for acceptance and approval. Only the gospel can give you true acceptance and true approval. Don't be suckered by this other stuff. As impressive, as shiny as it may seem on the surface, as as popular as as some of the, the leading proponents are, religious or not, Paul doesn't want us to be suckers for that kind of nonsense. He wants to remind us how powerful the gospel is and also, hopefully, do a diagnosis for us to see that we don't really trust or value or cherish the gospel because this other stuff seems to be more effective and is shinier and, and, and better than this gospel stuff. But we're told that the gospel is the power of God. And we need to keep going back to that over and over and over again. And that's what we see Jesus do, and that's what we see the Apostle Paul do. They go back to that gospel over and over and over again. And I have seen Christian leaders leverage pride for power. And those Christian leaders are held up, they are praised, and they are followed by people who want to be like them. So it's a major problem today, and it was just as much of a problem back in Paul's day as well. And the context of this letter is that these false teachers in Corinth claim that that the Apostle Paul is not a true Christian leader. They're saying that he is weak and foolish. And Paul's response is, guilty. Guilty as charged. You're right. I am a weak fool, and you don't know half of it. And you can be a weak fool too if you accept and believe my teaching. Who wants to sign up for that? I'm going to read our passage. Several passages from three different chapters, and it's a little bit long, but I trust that you have the ability to focus and pay attention and absorb what I'll be reading, and you can follow along on the, on the screen. So hang in there with me and try to absorb as much as you can. Close your eyes and listen if it helps. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 3. It's printed on the back of your insert as well. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by how? By great endurance in afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonment and riots and labors and sleepless nights and hunger. Chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. And since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being so wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. 
But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are there any Hebrews? So am I. Any Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman here with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, on top of all of this, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped his hands. Chapter 12. I must go on boasting, he continues. Though there is nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, he says, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I, I know that this man was caught up into paradise, paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but not on my own behalf. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Tony Robbins doesn't talk like this. The, the, the successful Christian leaders at the conferences, you rarely hear this kind of stuff. 
In our passage, we see three qualities of a weak fool. And the first mark of a weak fool, if you're following along in the outlines uh, in your bulletin, the first mark of a weak fool is that a weak fool boasts in weaknesses. Paul is totally boasting here. Why? He's boasting to defend, his, to defend the credibility of the gospel. He's not boasting for the sake of his own reputation. He's not boasting to make himself uh, impressive. He's not boasting so that other people would value him. He's trying to get people to, uh, to, to cherish the gospel, to trust the gospel, to value the gospel. He's not boasting for his reputation for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this seems a little bit awkward for him. In verse 23, he says, just hear me out. I, I know that I'm talking like a madman. For the sake of the gospel, he's compelled to boast. These false teachers have swooped in into Corinth at, you know, at, with a false gospel. And so what they claim is that you know, they have the real gospel, not, not Paul, because Paul's weak. Paul's foolish. He's weak in his leading, he is weak in his preaching, he's weak in his healing, and he can't even get rid of this own thorn in his flesh. Not only that, he's always getting into trouble and these humiliating situations. I mean, if the Apostle Paul were wise, you know, he'd be able to avoid these situations. And so the Apostle Paul is forced to defend his credibility in a foolish way in order to Defend the credibility of the gospel. But instead of proving that he's strong, instead of proving that he's wise, what's he do? He agrees with them. Hey, you know what? You're right. I am weak. I am a weak fool. In fact, I'm weaker and more foolish than you realize. But that just proves the credibility of the gospel. It's the only explanation for, for why I have any hope. It's the only explanation for why I keep pressing on. It's the only explanation for anything good that, that happens through me. It, it's the wisdom and the power of the gospel. And so the weak fool doesn't want to boast, but if he must boast, he boasts in his weakness for the sake of the gospel. Now let me clarify this, okay? What's the opposite of boasting in weakness? It's boasting in strength. And that's exactly what the false teachers were doing because it impressed everybody. They were saying, you know what? We're strong leaders. We're powerful preachers. We're effective healers. So follow us. Listen to us. Join us. We are wise. We know how to avoid these dangerous and embarrassing situations. And that's why our churches are growing faster than Paul's church. Our teaching can give you the power and the wisdom to reach your goals and to live to your full potential and, and, and live a good life. And Paul's saying, that's a bunch of nonsense. It's foolishness. You're exchanging the gospel for, for that. It'll just slip through your fingers. It's true today. It's true back then. It ultimately, this kind of teaching puts people on a, an emotional roller coaster with the ups being your most recent success or your most recent answer to prayer and the downs being when it seems like God just didn't come through and the bottom falls out of our lives. Paul is not teaching that kind of gospel. It's not what Jesus teaches anyways. 
In Matthew 7, he, he addresses people who have supposedly impressive uh, ministry uh, because they have these impressive leaders. And look what he says in Matthew 7, if, if we could put it up there. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and, and perform many miracles? I mean, we did awesome ministry for you. And Jesus says, goes on to say, then I will say to you, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That right there should put, um, should be sobering to us and make us evaluate what it is that we're valuing, what it is that we're looking to. Are we really trusting the power of the gospel? Or are we just kind of, you know, giving it lip service? And then trying to be strong in, in our own strength to impress ourselves or impress other people. This right there better force us to examine our hearts, what we're looking to. That's the opposite, boasting in strength. You know what? There's a counterfeit, though. You know what the counterfeit is to boasting in weakness? It's, it's, it's boasting in weakness to manipulate people. Some people speak openly about their, their weaknesses, and, you know, we need to do that. However, you know, motives matter, purpose matters, and there's some people, it can be tempting to, to, to speak openly about their, their weaknesses, but the purpose is to manipulate people. The purpose is to get something. The purpose is to control other people. They, they want to draw people into like a, a diabolical codependency or something. Paul is boasting in weakness, not to manipulate people, but to serve people. That's the first characteristic, boasts and, and weakness. The second is this, zealous in serving. Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I am more. And you see he's about to talk about how, uh, it sounds like a setup for him to talk about how awesome he is. But he, then he gives this long list of things that he has suffered. Why in the world would anybody put up with these things? He must be a fool. Look at all this stuff that, that, that he went through. It says this. It says that, that he was imprisoned multiple times. That he had countless beatings with, with sticks and, and whips. It says that one time he was stoned, and he's not talking about stone. He's talking about people throwing stones at him until he was almost dead. He was often near death, shipwrecked multiple times, in danger. Everywhere he went, he was in danger. There was toil and hardship hardship without sleep or food and he was cold and 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 naked who wants to be like that guy man that is zeal right there and it's all because paul is christ's servant so he says are they servants of christ i am more paul is christ's weak fool and he is proud of it he's a weak fool for others on Christ's behalf. And he says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? His, his whole deal is, how can I serve Jesus and his people on Christ's behalf? The danger that he faced the suffering that he endured was not enough to hold back his godly zeal. 
you know, I, I, every now and then I, I come across people who get excited about ministry, and that's a good thing. I always try to encourage that. If they, just using ministry as an example, there are other things that this can play out in. But, but I've spent most of, of my, my, my work in, in ministry, and every now and then I'll come across somebody who's excited about ministry, young man or, or something, and they, they, they like, you know, either the music or they envision themselves preaching or, or, or they, they want to be uh, part of the crowd or whatever to make, that makes things happen or whatever. And, and I, I try to encourage them in ministry. Um, but oftentimes, once they get in, the fantasy they had in their mind just kind of shatters. It's not like they fantasized. They thought it was going to be awesome and riding a wave and it was just all going to be like fun and high fives and stuff. And they get involved and they realize, man, there's some real heartache involved in ministry. There's some major letdowns in, in ministry. This is not going like I thought it would. And these people are not as awesome as I thought they were. I've seen it all the time. They're all zealous and then they're like, what? What did I get myself into? This is lame. And then there are others who realize that God uses it to refine their motives, to refine their heart, to refine their relationship with God. And they see God's hand in it all to mature them. And I have seen some people in ministry who have endured so many hardships and disappointments and letdowns, and they press on because of the power of the gospel. And it's an encouragement to me to press on. I want to clarify this characteristic. The opposite of, of zealous and serving is zealous and lording over people. Sometimes being zealous and serving is, doesn't kind of create you know, the life that you want. So I know what I'll do. I, I will be zealous in lording other, other, over other people. And that's how these false teachers were. And they describe it in verse 20. They make slaves of you, take advantage of you, and strike you in the face. I have seen this kind of leadership happen all the time where congregants believe it is our leader's job to smack us in the face, smack us around, and it's our job to take it. So if I take it enough, maybe I can be like him. The NIV says they exploit you. That kind of leadership has plagued the church and the world for an incredibly long time. And Paul calls us out on it. And then there's a counterfeit to this. Counterfeit of zealous serving. It's serving others to ultimately serve yourself. Do you know how you can tell if you are serving others in order to serve yourself, maybe you're involved in, in ministry or official or unofficial. Or just imagine your life as, as a mom or a dad serving your, your children. Here's how you can tell if you're serving others to serve yourself. When the people that you're serving don't respond to you the way that you want them to. And when they don't respond the way that you want them to after you did all that, 
you become disappointed in them. And you're thinking, why am I even doing any of this? You might even have, you know, be crushed, have your feelings hurt, and feel like, you know, they sinned against you, and so I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And, and when they criticize you in your service, you're not just annoyed, you get angry. Or when, when your serving doesn't play out the way that you fantasized about. Oh, man, I was going to do this, that, and the other thing. But now that I'm involved, people are so lame. Forget it. I know this church down the road that's just rocking. Maybe I'll check that out. And you get bummed out and you're frustrated and maybe even quit. I don't need to surround myself with this negative energy. Paul says it's nonsense. You're really serving others to serve yourself. That's the second characteristic. You'll be zealous in your serving. So how can those things be a reality in your life? Boasting weakness, zealous in serving. Third mark, you're empowered by grace. Empowered by grace. Paul gives us this long list of, of weaknesses and hardships, and then, and then he adds this most painful experience, and he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And, and what was this thorn? And many scholars speculate what it was. They list all kinds of stuff from you know, persecution to sexual temptation to other kind of temptation, a, a speech defect or, or an eye problem or, or epilepsy, whatever it was. The text says... A thorn was given me in the flesh, which is a messenger of Satan. Now, that could have manifested itself in, in any number of ways, but the point is that whatever it was, it diminished Paul somehow. It diminished his enjoyment of life. It diminished his you know, potential or diminished his effectiveness or, or, or it diminished his happiness, whatever it was. It, it frustrated his, his life and just drained him. But here's the deal. The fact that we don't know what this thorn is and how it played out in his life, it's actually helpful for you and helpful for me. It means that what he says about it applies to you in your life and applies to me in my life. What is the thorn in your flesh, the thorn in your life right now? Something, is something come to, to mind? My life would be perfect if it just weren't for this. Or it'd be perfect if it weren't for that. Anything come to mind? What is it for you? Whatever it is that's, that painful thing is in your life that is robbing you of joy or frustrating you or you feel like it's diminishing your potential or whatever else, it's draining you. What Paul says here applies to you. And it applies to me. So Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So, you know what? Go ahead and pray. Ask God to take your thorn away. And then Paul says, God answered me. And basically, the answer was no. And he quotes God as saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Who wants that answer? The thorn was still with him. 
and the Lord's answer still rings in his ears. And we realize that Paul's not empowered in the flesh, he's empowered by grace. How can he boast in weakness? Grace. How can he be zealous in serving Christ and others? Grace. How can he go on with such this debilitating thorn? Grace. And what is grace? Grace is power in weakness. Grace is total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. Now let me clarify this characteristic. What's the opposite of power and weakness? The opposite of power and weakness is power and power. There is a type of power in power, and it's seductive. Again, like I said, people exchange the power of the gospel all the time for the power of power. But it's the power of pride. It's not the power of Christ. It's the power of false teachers who boast in their own strengths and and achievements. I'm telling you, so many Christians are enamored by this. They're enamored by it. Giving lip service to the gospel, but functionally speaking, enamored by and drawn to this power in the flesh that impresses them and others. It reveals there's not a real trust in the gospel or cherishing of the gospel. So what's the counterfeit of power and weakness? It's weakness and weakness. And what I mean is that there are people who recognize their weakness and they're very aware of their thorns, uh, but they're not boasting in their weakness. They're not zealous in service. They're not empowered by grace. They're simply wallowing in self-pity. But Christ's grace offers us power in weakness. And so how can we be empowered by grace? How can we become weak fools for Christ and and grow as weak fools? Let me say this, that that is not a theoretical question for me, personally. It's not a theoretical question for me. You know, as I look over these qualities, three qualities, I I, I realize that, that I fall short in what it means to be Christ's weak fool. You know what? I've experienced my my own thorns. There are times when I am just drained. There have been times that instead of delighting in my weakness, there's been a, a, a spirit of anger or a spirit of aggression or a spirit of frustration or a spirit of cynicism that at least makes you for a little while feel like you're above it all. There have been times when instead of serving Christ and others with enthusiasm, I became self-focused and self-protective. Instead of being empowered by grace, I have at times tried to make it in my own strength and just kind of like power through, or I've concluded that, you know what, why bother? So this is not a theoretical question for me. It should not be a theoretical question for you either. How can you and I be a weak fool for Christ? And the answer begins with starting right where you are in your weakness, meaning stop being in denial about it. Maybe you got your whole life together and you're just 
killing it in life on all fronts. Ask God to show you your failures and weakness and sin and your, your need for him. And he will answer that prayer. In love, he will answer that. You might say, I'm not going to answer that. Forget that. God only does what is best for you. The question is, do you believe him? Ask God to show you how you're dependent, how you really are desperate and depend, desperate for him and dependent on him. And he will show you. And your first temptation is to blame someone else. Blame the people around you. Blame your spouse. Blame your children. Blame your friends. They're letting you down. Blame your church. And then once you get through that, eventually, by God's grace, you'll see, God's teaching me to trust him. I've been putting my, my hope in myself. I've been putting my, my hope in those people around me. I've been putting my hope on, in, in, in other Christians or my hope in the, the, the Christian leadership for me to be okay. God wants to show you that you're totally dependent on him. That's step one. We don't like that, so we avoid it. We try to convince ourselves that, that we're strong or that we can be. Start right where you are. Acknowledge your weakness. Don't be in denial about it. God's grace only comes to us in the awareness of our weakness. So embrace it, right? Tell God how much you hate this thorn. Confess your failings. Confess your sin. And then hear God say, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Let those words ring in your, your ears. That's the only antidote here. The only antidote that will keep you from being suckered by this shallow, superficial, impressive-looking power in the flesh that is ultimately lame. To hear, once you see your weakness, ask God to show it to you, and then... Hear the Lord say to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And what he's doing is he's pointing us to the cross. He's pointing us to show us that, that we really do need Jesus. We have no hope apart from Jesus. And we have no hope of true life, real life, eternal life, here and beyond, apart from Jesus. God the Son... Jesus Christ, playing the fool, the perfect, weak fool, stripped, spit on, beaten to a bloody pulp, nailed to a cross. Why? Because God hates suffering and injustice and evil more than you do. He was crucified. He was, he was dead. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose in true power. True power. And one day he will return. And there will be no more thorns. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. And we will finally, finally live happily ever after because of the power of the gospel. Don't ever exchange the power of the gospel for anything else. Don't ever look to your own strength. No matter how much you have it together, don't ever look to your own strength to be okay, to get your identity, to feel good about life, because it'll rip you off. It doesn't compare to this kind of power. I'm tempted to do it all the time. 
And that's why I need to throw out, that's why I can't miss being here. Focused on Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And seeing other people focusing on, on Jesus and who he is and what he's done. It builds my faith in him. Gets my eyes off of me. Focuses me on the true power of God, which is the gospel. This means you can have, you can be zealous in your serving. You can boast in, in weakness. Because the cross shows us that he will keep all of those who put their little weak faith in him. And that he will not let you go. So, if you have never personally invited Jesus into your life to be your Lord, to be your King, to be your Savior, to be your Deliverer, to be your strength, to be your power, if you've never looked to Jesus for that, I invite you to do that this morning. And if you have questions about that, talk to another Christian friend or, or me or one of the other pastors. And we'll wrestle with this. For those of you, if you've already invited Jesus into your life, my invitation to you, especially if you feel like your, your Christianity, your church, or whatever is, is starting to become kind of, kind of blah, <laughs> my encouragement to you is to ask God to open your eyes. Stop blaming the people around you. Stop blaming your church. Ask God to show you your need for him. You can't have an appreciation for the gospel if you don't think you need it. And then once you see that you need it, I'm telling you, the gospel will just boil you over. It'll ju you'll, just, you'll just be so happy that you're saved. You'll just be so happy you have a relationship with God. <laughs> and then you realize how ridiculous everything else is compared to knowing Christ. So remember that his grace is always sufficient. You don't need anything else. His grace is always available. Just start where you are in your weakness. Ask him to point you to the cross and the true power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads?